Welcome to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. Each episode, we bring you new guests, new topics, and ask all the questions you're dying to know. Without further ado, please welcome your host, Viva Manfredo. So welcome back, everyone. Welcome to Virgin Territory. Uh, today, we have a very, very special guest, Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Vima. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know who Alicia is, she's our wonderful executive director, and I'll let her um, introduce herself. Yeah, thanks. Um, so my name is Alicia Govin. I use she, her pronouns, and I have been the executive director since August of 2018. Yay. <laughs> So you've been doing an awesome job as the executive director, getting us to these uncertain times and everything. And she's been doing a kick-ass job. Um, but I wanted to know first, how did you start with the CSPH? Um, so the abbreviated history of Alicia's experience with the CSPH is I um, started as an intern in college in 2011. Um, our founder, Megan Andiu, um, came to my alma mater We, as a part of our study sex college tour program, and um, I went to her workshop and was immediately enamored with her. I was like, how do I become this person? Um, and, you know, went to handy dandy Google and saw that she had founded this organization and saw that they had internships. And I applied and got accepted <laughs> and basically never left, um, except for the like two year hiatus that I wasn't working with the CSPH. Um, but I've, I've worked with this organization as an intern to a volunteer staff person to, um, uh, I was the operations manager for about a year and then um, left and then came back. And so that's the, that's the abbreviated history of, of my journey with the CSPH. Nice. We're very happy that you came back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's funny when I say like, I wanted to be Megan <laughs> and then I kind of ended up not becoming Megan because like she is a like person who is like eons above me <laughs> in terms of just like being such an amazing educator um and just person in the field so like i i it's comparing apples and oranges but i did end up becoming the executive director which she also was uh also our founder but um i digress <laughs> No, that, that's great. That's a lot of history that not a lot of people know. Um, myself in school included, when I found out about the organization, you were already the executive director. So I didn't see the past. I just read about it. Um, so we should have done this episode as the pilot instead of jumping right in, because all I want to do is promote the CSPH on the episode. Um, so let's start with what do we do? on the organization? What do we offer? Yeah, so the, well, I will start with the mission. Um, the mission of the CSPH is to advance 
medically accurate, consent-based, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training for adults. And I think the adults piece is what often gets lost. People hear um, sex education, they automatically think of youth. And that's what I love about our organization so much is that we don't we don't have to deal with the policy and governmental barriers that often coincide with youth youth sex ed but also like there's so much more to a person's lifespan than the like i don't know is it 18 years that you're considered a youth like <laughs> and um and most of those 18 years there's sexual development but there's not like there's so much more time for sexual activity as an adult if that makes right. sense yeah and 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 our our needs as adults change as our bodies change um and so it's it's something that i think is really unique to my knowledge we are the only nonprofit organization providing sex education to adults um if anyone knows of any others please let us know because I think that there's power in numbers. Um, but to get back to your original question of what we do, um, we provide what I think of as three buckets of programming. We have education for the individual, which I refer to as relationship and sexual skill building education. So we have like workshops called super sex that go over um like what is an orgasm and what different types of birth control are and that's more geared towards college students but then we also have um excuse me um uh, i can't remember what our <laughs> our anal workshop is called but it's it's like but sex basics basically um that is not the title of it i can't remember the title of it um <laughs> and and so it it presents pleasure-based information in an in, in a fun informational way that is you know we leave room for giggles and and jokes and things like that but we try to leave shame at the door so that way people um behaviors and desires are validated and affirmed rather than being shamed and judged which is the case for pretty much the rest of society right um so that's bucket number one bucket number two um is our therapy program and so the um education work is nationwide in scope our therapy program is limited to rhode island and massachusetts because that is where our clinical director has her license um but we provide relationship and individual therapy um specializing in sexual concerns um our clinical director, Kimberly Jackson, is a certified sex therapist. She's also a certified sexuality uh, therapy supervisor. So she help can provide supervision to people who are looking to become certified. Um, and um, so that's the therapy program. And then our, our third bucket of programming is professional development. And so um, it's, providing sex education for professionals to 
relay to their patients. So we have done trainings with medical students on how to talk to their patients about pleasure. We've done like sex toy 101 with providers because doctors are usually the people that are like socially acceptable to talk to about sex, I guess, but they don't get a whole lot of training on it. Um, and you know, if they're going to be heralded as these people to go to with your questions, like they should maybe know the answers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we, and, and other workshops that we do are like, um, LGBTQ competency, um, making your, your medical practice more inclusive, um, you know, from asking your, your patient, their pronouns and not just assuming, uh, if you have the power to impact that, updating your intake forms so that it's, you know, got different pronoun options, different gender options, um, things like that. Yeah, and it it all all three buckets are very important. Um, but going back to what you said of medical professionals are usually the ones that you feel like you can talk to, probably because they're sworn to never publish, never divulge what you talk to them about and that creates a sort of relationship where you can open up about what you're feeling and know that they're not gonna say it forward um within limits of course but that's usually what it go uh how it goes and sometimes um if it's like your obgyn like they're they're already in there so talking about things talking about toys or talking about um, other sexual questions makes sense because they're already close to the area that you may be using. Yeah. Um, so it's it's great that we can provide that information um, to medical professionals. Um, and I, I will say like, um, we, like, yes, the medical professionals are like bound by HIPAA to, to not disclose your medical <laughs> information. Um, but they're also mandated reporters. So obviously if abuse is happening, um, and like non-consensual, um, sexual behaviors, um, they would definitely need to, right. <laughs> need to tell some, some higher ups about that. Um, and I, and I will say that's also like Kimberly's, um, a mandated reporter and is also bound by HIPAA, um, for our therapy clients, um, but, you know, with workshops, people, we, we try to go by Vegas rules with, with the workshops. Like every workshop starts with like a list of like kind of community agreements. And it's usually what one of them is usually what is said in here stays here. When it's personal information, you can obviously take the educational components out of the workshop. That's why you're there. Right. But if you're in the workshop and someone was like, you know, me and my husband did this and it was awful or blah, blah, blah. You're not going to go and be like, yo, Betty said at the workshop that her and her husband did this. Can you believe it? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that's not cool. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's important to have that clause of like non-attribution uh, on the workshops. And it's something that we say right up front, like, behave <laughs> yeah like 
I mean, pretty much all of the, <laughs> the community agreements can be summed up with "Don't be a jerk." <laughs> like, yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, because we want, we need to, we we want to recognize that people are coming in with different um, levels of experience. Is not the word that I, or not the phrase that I want, but different levels of exposure and comfort, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. You know, like there's people that have been very fortunate to maybe not grow up with a lot of sexual shame. Um, and so having conversations about sex is like talking about what you had for dinner. For other people, even just saying the word sex, they start blushing like <laughs> profusely. And oh, yeah. so we want to create a space in an environment that both things can exist at the same time. Um, yeah, and it's it's very understandable. Um, doing a, a call back to a previous episode that we had uh, with the Dr. Fleischman, even your um, your sexual needs, your your environment around your sexual self changes over time as you age. Um, so for our listeners, you can go back and listen to that episode too. Um, but that is very important. Your your lifelong journey in your sexual, I was going to say career, but it's not career. <laughs> your sexual life changes over time. And even if you have a lot of openness about talking about sex when you were growing up with your family, there's probably some things that you still don't have honed down because it will depend on how your body ages, how if you have any any medical conditions while while you're um, entering into your golden years, stuff like that. Um, so why is this information that the CSPH provides so important? Yeah, so I I kind of teased at this earlier, but a little bit. <laughs> a just a little bit. But like, I mean, this is something that I feel really passionately about. And I am actually going to talk about like youth policy for a second. Um, so, and I, I, I looked this up to like ensure that my information is as accurate as possible. So as of April 1st, according to the Guttmacher Institute, and I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, um, 39 of the 50 states and the District of Columbia mandate that sex and or HIV education be taught in schools. But then when you drill down into specifics, only two states mandate sex education, 28 of those mandate both sex education and HIV education, and then nine only mandate HIV education. And like what is covered within that varies widely depending on the state that you're in. And so um, the, oh, and this is the, this is the factoid that always just tickles me. Of the 39, guess how many require that the curriculum be medically accurate? One. It's better than that. No, <laughs> I, I have great hopes for this country, it looks like. Um, three. <laughs> it's 17. Oh. Um, 
So <laughs> not as dire as, as the United States in Vima's world, <laughs> but still not great. And um, I, I've, got a, I've got another uh, little quiz for you. How oh boy, I'm going to vomit. How many do you think require the importance of consent to sexual activity be covered? All right. So if I got the first one wrong by like 10, I'm going to go with 10. You're close. Uh, I think by prices, right? Rules. Um, you're over, you're, you're slightly over. So nine require the importance of consent to sexual activity be covered. Do you want to guess? how many require inclusive content with regard to sexual orientation? Oh, I'm going to guess California. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> so with one again. <laughs> uh, 11. 11. And, okay, that's not too bad. But then on the flip side, how many do you think require that only negative information about homosexuality and or putting a positive emphasis on heterosexuality. All of them. <laughs> Once again, we don't want to live in Vima's America. I mean, I it's don't. already not ideal, but so six states require that only negative mm. information be provided on homosexuality and or positive emphasis on heterosexuality. So with all that in mind, <laughs> there's a huge disconnect in what is being taught to youth. And I'm gonna kind of modify a phrase that um, Andrew from our, one of our recent workshops um, said, which was um, all babies grow up to be, well, in a perfect world, all babies grow up to be adults and all adults were once babies. My uh, version of that is all youth will become adults and all adults were once youth. And so it's Andrew Rich. It took, it took me a second. It's Andrew Rich. Um, they're an awesome educator. Um, and they did a lactating and body feeding and sexuality workshop for us, uh, I think last month. Um, and, and so if you're, if you're not providing this information, I mean, even around consent, if you are not providing consent education, um, to youth, you are really setting the, their future adult selves up for failure. Um, because it's not like you, like you hit 18, you can buy cigarettes and know everything there is to know about sex on the same day. Like that's just not how it works. And so if they're not getting it when they're in, in school, maybe they're getting it in the home. Great. Maybe they're getting it from another, um, like adult in their life or, or, um, role model in their life. Like, um, I know that there's the Our Whole Lives curriculum, which is great through the Unitarian Church. Great curriculum. Um, but if not, like, where do you get it? And usually 
people turn to the internet. Right. And that can, that, you know, sometimes great, sometimes not great. Um, right. If you don't have the, the, the basics down, the, the good foundation, once you go into the internet um, and try and find any information, you won't have the tools to decipher whether or not the information that you found is good or bad or yeah. anything in between. You won't know if it's something that's going to be harmful or something that is actually helping you grow because you don't have that that skill set to determine whether or not what is the quality of the information that you found. Yeah. And also like because we li we we are in such a like puritanical culture we don't have the language for it. Like we are not comfortable with conversations about sex. Um and and that impacts like discussions on the policy level as well or you know if we look at the recent shooting in atlanta like that was um i don't know if the the folks that were targeted there identified as sex workers but they were connected to sex work in the media and as a society we don't tend to treat sex workers that great either um And so when we we really are doing ourselves a disservice and and are actively harming people because we can't have a conversation about things that are natural. Like <laughs> there's no I mean there's no other way of putting it. Um Yeah. But I feel like I've gone on <laughs> No, this different tirades. Oh, this is this is this is great. It's it's a, it's a great safe way to what I wanted to tackle on next, which is the kinds of information that adults are looking for in their sex education. Because the the first thing that you think about when you think sex education for adults is let's redo what they should have had as youth, which is this is how you use a condom. Um abstinence is the greatest thing ever and i'm using air mark air quotation marks here um and this is how you make a baby the mechanics of heterosexual sex but there's nothing else that most people think about when they think about sex education even if it's on the on the adults so what are people craving for in terms of information I mean, it, 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 it varies widely. Um, and the way that I like, so I, I often will refer to what's it's, um, called the circles of sexuality. And that is, um, oh man, do I not have who developed that? It is a model that was developed by someone who I'm going to send the name to Josh afterwards so he can include it in the show notes because <laughs> I want to give the credit where credit is due. But so this uh, professional <laughs> um, created what is five different circles of sexuality. And so they're identified as sensuality, intimacy, identity, sexual, reprodu sexual and reproductive health, and 
sexualization. And so um, the, oh, I, ha I do have it. So this, the source is um, D Daily. Um, they, I don't know what the first name is, but um, last name is Daily. It was created in 1981 and it's called the Circles of Sexuality Model. Um, and so the sensuality component covers like how our bodies feel pleasure through all of our senses. Um, it includes the need that humans have for touch, which is also referred to as skin hunger. And so if I, I, I took a sampling of some of the anonymous question cards that we receive from our workshops. So an example of a question that an adult had about um, that, that I think uh, applies to the sensuality circle is can a male, and I, this is the language as it was written, so I'm not necessarily saying that it's the most affirming or correct. <laughs> um, but you the are quoting. Can a male to female post-op feel pleasure during vaginal intercourse? So I, I think that that relates to the sensuality circle. Um, for the intimacy circle, so intimacy encompasses our emotional behaviors and needs, such as trust, respect, and loving or liking someone. So the, the question that I applied to that was, um, how important is changing positions during sex? How important is it to ask your partner to teach you new things? Um, the identity component um, contains our gender identity, our gender roles, our sexual orientation. Um, you know, it's the, who am I? <laughs> who am I? My identity. Um, and so that one, um, I think is, is the one that people have, like, can most easily understand. Um, I mean, like, people that are trying to figure out their sexuality if they're not heterosexual. Um, but one that was not specific to LGBTQ um, identities of the examples that I found um, was how do I reconcile fantasies of submission with being a feminist? That's an identity question. And that's, that's also like a sexual preferences and behaviors question. Um, Sexual and reproductive health also is, I think, fairly straightforward in terms of what, what that refers to. Um, it's basically what everyone thinks of, thinks of when we think of sex. It's, you know, the, the behaviors are, it's risk reduction, um, it's body positioning, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the question that I have is my wife is prone to UTIs and yeast infections. Any cautious preparation before engaging in oral sex? Um, and then the final one is sexualization. Um, and that is defined as, um, you know, things like harassment, rape, misuse of power, you know, the, the the dark side of of sexuality if you want to refer to it that way right um and josh is amazing and said it's 
uh, Dennis Daly is who came up with the circles of sexuality. So thank you, Josh. Um, and so for that, um, that final uh, one for sexualization, what can survivors of sexual abuse slash violence do to, do to feel more in tune with their sexuality? So I feel like that's like a good snapshot of the types of questions that people have, um, that adults have specifically. Um, and that's why we're here. <laughs> like, I mean, I personally can't answer all of those questions. Um, I, I like to very specifically state that I am not a sex educator. I am someone who's very passionate about sex education. Um, but I, don't have me teach a workshop, please. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you're perfect for it. I, I think you should. Um, but those are, those are, all of them are great questions and great examples of what adults are looking for in, in their sex education. Even if they don't put the title of sex education in front of their question, they're still part of this education cer bigger circle to continue the metaphor from Dr. Daly. Um, and it's very important to know that that can also change throughout your time, depending on the experiences that you're having. Um, using the example of the, the person that has the UTI and the yeast infection, maybe they discover the cure, the, the root cause, and they won't have that question anymore. And then the next question will be, why is this medication that I'm using to treat these conditions affecting my sexuality? So your questions will always be shifting and changing depending on your perspective and your current circumstances. Yeah. And like medications is a really good one too, because again, because we live in this puritanical society where people are uncomfortable talking about sex or broaching the topic about sex, um, doctors are not always going to tell you if your medication has sexual side effects. And this is actually very common with some antidepressants. They can, um, like some people have the experience of like suddenly not being able to orgasm um, from their, I think it's SSRIs. Um, and there's like, there's, a, I'm sure a slew of other medications as well, or like folks that, um, that are uh taking hormones um either because they are going into early menopause um or because they're transitioning like that has a huge impact um and 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 they're just they're they're things that your your medical provider may not either may not think to tell you about because also like the time you actually get in the room with a provider is very short yeah. Or they are also very uncomfortable talking about sex. And so they're like, I'm not bringing this up. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just does a disservice to the patient. There's even some allergy medication that causes side effects that can ripple into your sexual being. Um, I was on, I don't remember the name, uh, but I was on some allergy medication that caused me to have symptoms of depression. And one of the ways that we 
reconcile, we discovered that it was the medication is because also my, my libido tanked because of the side of, because of the symptoms of depression that I was having because I was having allergy medication. So those are three degrees of separation that not a lot of people think about, but that is something to keep in mind if something has changed in your perspective or maybe something that your partner can bring up. But that also brings uh, the point of part of your education should also be how to communicate with your partner when it's things like that. Who discovered uh, that I was having these uh, depression-like symptoms was Josh. It wasn't even myself. I was too enscalled in my sadness to understand that I was sad. Yeah, most of us, <laughs> my personal experience with depression as well is you don't realize you're depressed always at first. It's always the people around you that are like, hey, what's what's going on there? But, yep. um, oh man, there was something that you said that, oh, related to the allergy medication, and that I actually had not ever heard of. But um, I mean, uh, if you take a decongestant, it's drying out your 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 nasal passages, but guess what else is drying out? Every other, that. every other mucous membrane. So, uh, use lube. Like there's, and, and like, you know, there's a lot of stigma around using lube, which I think I personally think is ridiculous because like lube is there to make sex even better. Like it's, you know, like, it, and like, you know, there's like this, especially for people with vaginas, like perception of like oh well if you're not wet like you're not turned on maybe i just took a freaking allergy like decongestant that has literally absorbed all of the moisture <laughs> in my body right maybe maybe i've had some alcohol which can dehydrate you maybe i have been really shit at drinking water lately like <laughs> there's so many reasons right um, maybe we've been going at it for two hours. There's only so much I can produce. <laughs> hate hate me was America, but love her reason for being <laughs> dehydrated. Oh. <laughs> um, and like this is like a tan like a, a not related to that point at all at all. But I was also thinking like going back to like the things that people want to know we talked we mentioned that um was it 11 um state i've closed out of that tab 11 states um will positively talk about homosexuality are they like just referring to non-hetero relationships as options or are they actually providing safer sex education for people that are not engaging in penis and vagina sex. Like, do you go over how to use a dental dam? Do you go over like, um, how to use uh, finger cots or, um, um, gloves? Like there's, there's many different ways that people can protect their bodies, but they can't do that unless they know how. Right. Um, same with sharing toys. Like some toys are fine to be shared with multiple partners. 
some you do not want to share with anyone other than yourself. Um, some you don't want to share within yourself. Some are like butt only toys and some are oh, vagina yeah. only toys Great. because of the same reason. Like yeah. even, even if you're single and not seeing anyone and not sleeping with anyone, understanding your own pleasure and how to be safe about it, it's very important because you don't want to one end up in the ER because you use something you shouldn't have on your rear end or end up with some sort of problems because you use the wrong toy or the wrong lube with your toy. Talking about things that get stuck in people's bodies is one of my favorite things. I mean, I hate that it happens. I really do. But it is fascinating the things that people get stuck in themselves. There is a book called Stuck Up that is literally things that people have gotten stuck in their bodies. I, to, to their credit, I don't think it's all butt stuff. I think some of it is like stuff that was swallowed as well. Um, and it's, but it's just, it's so fascinating. Um, but this is where I say, if you're going to put something in your butt, make sure that it has a flange or a flared base because the butt is like a big black hole that things can get lost in. <laughs> yep. And always use lube for butt stuff. Always. Um, but that does not include saliva. Saliva is not lube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want something a little bit more robust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I, I, I could really go off on a tangent about ER stuff, but I won't distract us. No, we can go back to the lube. Uh, we do have a guide to lube in our, um, repertoire of things that we offer, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great resource to have and understand. And not everybody knows that there are different kinds of lubes and they all have different applications. And they keep coming up with new kinds of lube. So there's also that. Uh, yeah, my, so I actually, I, um, I'm not an educator, but I did work um, in a, at a sex toy shop. Um, and talking to lube was like when I, uh, talking to lube, <laughs> talking about lube with the customers um, was one of my favorite things because it is such a, like easy thing to incorporate into your sexual repertoire, I guess. Um, and it, it just amazes me, you know, the stigma around it and like the, the mentality of like, oh, I tried XYZ brand and it was awful for whatever reason there's so much lube out there. Yes. <laughs> there's so much and like different, um, like formulas, like different, um, types, like there's, um, you know, water-based there's silicone, there's oil-based, which you don't want to use with a condom because, um, it will break the condom down. Um, and then there's hybrid lubes. And even like within those categories, like brand A may not feel the same as brand B 
or maybe brand C has something that you're allergic to in it and you didn't know that. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I wish that, that like, I wish samples of like different samples of lube were as widely available as like condoms. Like, I, I feel like you can go to like, um, like a community health center and like there will be a bowl of condoms that you can like pick and choose from. I don't, I have yet to see like a bucket of, <laughs> I was going to say a bucket of lube, a bucket of lube samples um, that are not just the same brand. Um, yeah. Cause I think that that would really change how people engage with lube and some some retailers will have um demo um bottles so that way like the customer can put some on the back of their hand feel the texture like sniff it lick it if they want to i mean these are all pre-covid <laughs> yeah um because i mean you do also want to taste your lube because some lubes do have a funky taste mm -hmm. um and there's nothing worse than like having sexy times with your partner, having like putting lube where wherever, and then maybe engaging in some oral and being like, holy shit, this lube tastes awful. But maybe you're not actually just saying that you're just like, your face is just reacting and your partner thinks that you're making that face at their genitals. Like, yeah. <laughs> I do have to say that the technology of adding flavors to lube has gone a long way. Yeah. There are there are some lubes now, and I'm I'm a fan of buying lubes with flavors because of what you said. Like you, when you engage in, in with your partner, you don't know. Well, you kind of do know, but you don't know the order of when are you gonna do things unless you follow a script. So you may end up tasting the lube at some point like you said and having uh, the surprise of like oh this is strawberry daiquiri <laughs> this is nice uh instead of like this tastes like oil and uh, uh we're done with this <laughs> <laughs> most of the anecdotes i've heard have not been like oh i was pleasantly surprised that the lube <laughs> was strawberry daiquiri um <laughs> usually it's this tastes like chemicals yeah um but yeah the, things like that knowing your lube type knowing that there are loops just made for masturbation for people with penises where it's more like a lotion but it's made for it's not like you stole the 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 hand lotion to use this is my hand lotion i know like, i can see is it. That bottle? <laughs> <laughs> this is my hand lotion but they they make loops for like people with penises so they can masturbate but those loops are not made for going in vaginas or anuses so knowing the difference and knowing what to bring out when you need it it's a great resource soon to have i do think some of them I mean, it obviously depends on the brand. I do think some of them can be used, or some are multifunctional, um, but usually they're, they are oil-based. And so the, the thing that you definitely wouldn't want to use them with is condoms. 
Right. Um, unless it's a material, a condom material that is compatible with oil, but there's not a whole lot out there. Um, anyway, that's a, that's we, a we can do a whole episode on lube. <laughs> no, you can just download our guide to lube, which actually you can't download at the moment because our website is um, being renovated. Um, but uh, I don't know if I, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying there will be a resource section that will be a lot easier to navigate and you can very quickly and easily find our guide to lube. Um, yeah, we won't spoil the surprise, but our website is under construction and we have a wonderful website prime contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Vol <Yeah>. Volunteer. <laughs> volunteer prime contractor that so graciously gave us um, his time and energy to make us a very kick-ass website. So it's going to be awesome. Um, so going back to the topic that we had at hand about 10 minutes ago, um so what are some of the barriers that people in adults specifically have accessing the, the this information other than our websites on the construction yeah <laughs> the the barrier to people accessing our information specifically right now is the website but we do i mean that's just our like online resources we do have um quite a few virtual workshops coming up still. I think we're, I don't even think we're halfway through our virtual workshop schedule, um, but that's available on our website. We do have like a, a, a holder page, I think it's called, um, but barriers. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit at the top, like, or at some point, um, we, don't i mean we don't really have like the literacy for it like we you you can type in lube in google or your search engine of choice and likely you will get product so like are you gonna purchase like the thing that first appears like maybe the like product page will tell you a little bit about it but like the thing the thing that it, I think is so important about the work that we do is that like, we don't sell anything. Um, like we are truly in it to help make your life better. Um, and, and I, and, and I don't say that to slight, um, retailers or, you know, manufacturers, because I do think a really awesome thing that has happened within the last 10 years, even the last five years, is a lot more brands um, are really focusing on education. Like they, they recognize that education is an important part of um, a good customer experience. Um, so I don't want to knock that. But obviously, at the end of the day, they want to sell their product. Right. Um, but to actually answer your question, Vima, um, is it is like is the the literacy of knowing where you can go to, for for in, go to for information a lot of. I mean, I think if you just Google sex education, you're likely going to find well, you'll probably find the TV show now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if before that, I think you would often find um like 
information geared towards youth. And that's great, but maybe you don't want to know how to put a condom on or like, you know, maybe you want something like a little bit more advanced, in which case I don't think that they're Googling just sex ed. I think they're probably Googling something a little bit closer to what they're trying to find. Um, but a lot of people, um, and actually, so the literacy component is key. And I'm going to like take a step back for a second just to like share where adults look for information. So obviously we've talked about the internet. Um, and then um, there have been very, like very, very few studies um, on like where, I mean, on adult sex education in general, but the little that has been done, um, places have been identified as in-home sex toy parties. So um, I think Pure Romance is one, Athena's is one. Um, it, but that, it, that tended to be for quote women only. And I'm using quote women only because the researchers use the term women when I really think what they meant were people with vaginas. Um, adult retail stores. So like the sex toy shops that I worked at, like that was, that was all, that was why we were founded. <laughs> like our founder worked at a sex toy shop in Providence. The sex toy shop um, closed and she was thinking about all of the people that would just come in for information. Um, the other areas are, you know, professionals. So like, as we mentioned, um, doctors, mental health providers, nurse practitioners, um, peers, which where are they getting that information? <laughs> um, the media, uh, to the extent of which they're going to talk about sex. Pornography is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes religious and faith leaders and also sex workers, um, which like, again, there's not a whole lot of like standardized information there. Um, and so when, when you think of the barriers, like who, and this is a thing that I struggle with because there's a lot of really awesome educators that don't have any professional quote unquote professional certifications. Um, and so like the legitimacy of the field is a challenging thing. Um, and you know, cause you, you like there, there are reasons why you go to a certified, you know, medical provider or a licensed mental health practitioner. Like I do think that there needs to be some, form of legitimizing, you know, someone professionally. Um, but, you know, we want to be mindful of like, is this a barrier because of white supremacy or is this a barrier because there needs to be a barrier? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and similarly, like funding is a huge barrier. Like no one's, no, no one's researching any of any of this really like and even in the like sex ed world a lot of the conversations center around youth 
And I mean, also like that is not funded that well either. So like, right. You know, um, and there's, we've already talked about the stigma, like someone might not even feel comfortable doing an internet search. Like, you know, even if they're in private or incognito mode, like, um, there's, um, you know, political and administrative restrictions. So one thing that we really struggle with is social media. Like our stuff gets flagged. We have a lot of sex educators have to like modify the language that they use. So if you see someone talking about, um, like a, a word that gets used often is like spicy instead of sex or, um, or they, someone will spell it with like a, a three instead of the E in sex. Um, my personal preference is to put sax because I think it's funny. <laughs> um, as in saxophone, S-A-X. Um, like it, it makes it really challenging for people to find legitimate information. Um, like even promoting the workshops that we're teaching, like social media sites won't let us like, and sometimes our stuff gets taken down. Um, so there's a lot of barriers. Um, censorship, visibility, like, I mean, it's all interconnected. Like people, people can't search for what they don't know is there. Um, yeah. Like there's been times where I've, and again, this is pre-COVID, um, where I would be out at like an event and meeting someone and they're like, you know, asking you the standard, what do you do? Da, 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 da. And and Rhode Island's unique in that it's very small and everyone knows everyone. And so like, I've, I've gotten a few times, like, I didn't know you guys existed. Like, and to which I say, clearly you're not hanging out with the right people. <laughs> um, but like, it's not like we can advertise, like, you know, there's, there's only so much we can do to get the word out about the work that we do. Um, even just, locally yeah so we're almost wrapping up but um if you since we're talking about our lack of reach because of censorship and because puritanism and everything else what can our listeners do to help us put the word out tell your friends um follow us on social media um and engage with us on social media, like the, the, um, likes, comments, shares, um, all of those help get more eyes on our page. Um, I'm sure there's more technical terms for that, but I'm not a marketing person. It increases um, the engagement. Yeah. Like, and, <laughs> and the reach. Um, so that's, that's, a very easy thing that people can do if you're on social. We are at the CSPH on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which you can do by going to 
bit.ly forward slash capital C, capital S, capital P, capital H, capital N, and then lowercase e, W, S. Um, so it's bit.ly slash CSPH news. Um, you can join our sex ed squad, which is our monthly um, donor um, group. And um, you can also monetarily support our work like one time um, by making a donation. Um, and you can find links to the uh, sex ed squad as well as our just our general donate page um, by going to our website, which has a landing page, but it will direct you to a donate form, um, which is the CSPH.org. Um, you can also attend one of our workshops. Got a great um, lineup uh, through the end of through the end of May. And actually, kind of calling back to something we talked about earlier in the episode, we are going to have someone um, doing a workshop on specifically on um, sexual side effects of medication. I can't think of what the workshop is called, though. But you can find it on our social media. <laughs> oh, is is the takeaway I think from from this evening is Alicia's memory is not the best. <laughs> <laughs> We're also just for the information of our listener, we are recording at eight thirty at night because reasons. Um, so Alicia's brain needs a little bit of a rest, then I won't let her rest. <laughs> Bima and Josh have day jobs. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so any last nickels, any, any, anything else you want to share? I mean, I did just look up the name of the workshop, so I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to share that it's sex, drugs, and side effects. What your doctor didn't tell you about your meds and sex. And the educator for that is Ren Graybert. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and that is going to be on May 20th. Um, and I mean, there's a, a lot of other great workshops happening between now and then, um, but definitely check out the lineup, um, which you can find through our website. Um, and I forgot to also mention that you can volunteer and support our work. Um, we have some committees that um, people can join. There's a process, um, but I, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I think that our committees are really fun. <laughs> we are always a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I I was thinking this the other day. I was like, I've been in a lot of like nonprofit meetings, and ours are definitely the best. <laughs> <laughs> like it's I don't know. I, I I I am very very lucky to have amazing people involved with the organization. Um, so if you think you're an amazing person, you should hit us up. <laughs> Yeah, volunteer with us, join one of the committees, or if you're really interested, you can also apply to be on the board. Um, you can either email Alicia or email the the board chair if you're interested, and we'll set you up with the, the process for that. Uh, we definitely have some openings left uh, for joining the board. And if you know finances, <laughs> you'll definitely be <laughs> welcome with open arms. Yeah, we don't want to. Vima is also on our finance committee, and uh, 
we have one other committee member who's our treasurer and he is going to be terming off soon which is sad and so it will eventually be just me and Vima, maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we we are a small organization but what we lack in size we have it in spirit and, and in heart and a really pa a big passion for the work that we do uh, be it the therapy the workshops the educational and professional um bucket as we called it before um and our events too that are not educational in nature but they're just to create a sense of community like our sticky stories or our trivia nights are also a lot of fun and this episode turned into a promotion for the CSPH but I am not mad about it whatsoever I would like to I would make the argument that our trivia events are educational I just like to think of it as uh hiding the medicine in the candy <laughs> You're onto something there. I did learn a couple of new things on the last set, set trivia. Um, also, since we're just plugging everything CSPH these days, uh, hold the date of May 14th. That will be our um, annual event, which is actually going to be a virtual event this year. Um, I don't know many details beyond that. So um, May 14th. Market just calendar. save the date, put it on the calendar, and just watch out for our social media. There will be some promotion coming out for what our new yearly event will look like. And it's a surprise for everybody, probably <laughs> included myself. <laughs> yeah, myself included. Um, Gwen's done a really awesome job planning it. I'm excited, though. Yeah, the Gwen and, and the whole uh, planning committee for, for the annual event, this, they're doing a great job. And I can see what... But the I can't wait to see what the product is going to be. Yeah. Um, any any other questions for me? I think Anything we I forgot. I think we got everything. Cool. This was great. So thank you so much for joining us um, here at Virgin Territory. Uh, you can find us at Virgin Territory Pod P O D dot org um, or on our social media or just find the CSPH and you'll find us the long way around <laughs> as well. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review because we are awesome. Um, and just promote it to everybody, to your friends, your family, your enemies, so everybody can listen to our podcast. So thank you so much, Alicia. Thank you, this was so fun. Virgin Territories is a podcast by the CSPH, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. To learn more about the CSPH, please visit our website at thecsph.org. There, you can sign up for our newsletter, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation to support our work.